0: Let's open our Bibles, please, to the book of Proverbs, the 19th chapter. Proverbs chapter 19. We might title this chapter, if you will, Developing Proper Attitudes Toward Life. Developing Proper Attitudes Toward Life. And we'll deal with each section and verse by verse as we go along. But verses 1 through 5 is the proper attitudes toward business. Toward business. The things we're to do in a business-like way and have the right attitude about it. So let's notice as we deal with this whole chapter, and I'll give you the title of each of the verses when we come down to verse 6. We'll take up another thought. And also 13 and so on as we go through the chapter. But this first section, verses 1 through 5, is our proper attitude toward business. And we'll read the verse and try to draw some things, verse by verse commentary, out of each one of the verses. Now notice it says in verse 1, Better is the poor that walketh in his integrity than the perverse in his lips and is a fool. The poor that walketh in integrity. To be poor and to be honest rather than to be rich and dishonest. To be poor and to be honest. We've been taught, taught honesty, most of us, from... Our childhood. And some say honesty is the best policy. But honesty is, is the thing that we should be in our lives. In business especially. And better is the poor that walketh in his integrity than the perverse. The perverse means the, the twisty. T-W-I-S-T-Y. Twisty. In his lips and is a fool. In other words, twist things around to their advantage to be dishonest. So the thought here might be this, too. How much is he worth? How much is the poor man worth? And how much is the one that is a perverse worth? Which is the better? Which is the more valuable? And we certainly should go on the side of being honest. We're told to, to think on things. Let's see if I have it in the book of Philippians chapter 4. Paul said in verse 8, he says, Finally, finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, and whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. He says, think on these things. In the next verse, he says, those things which ye have both learned, I want you to notice these words, learned and received and heard, and seen in me, he says, do. There are five words you ought to underline in that ninth verse. Philippians 4, verse 8 and 9. Those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me, they have to be a part of our lives for, any, for us to tell anyone to do them. Remember, Jesus rebuked the Pharisees for saying that they say unto you what to do, and they do not. Lip service doesn't amount to very much. It's lip and life. And we witness not only by what we say, but we witness when we do the things that we say. The old saying is what? Practice what you preach. Right? And so if we do not do that, uh, our preaching won't be, be very much good. Our witness won't be very much good. And neither will our lip service be much good unless we follow through with doing of it. So, back in hold your place in Proverbs 19 because we'll be teaching from there. Better is the poor that walketh in his integrity than he that is perverse in his lips and is a fool. Now then, verse 2 says, Also, that the soul be without knowledge, it is not good. And he that hasteth with his feet sinneth. Look at this. Without knowledge is not good. We need to learn. And the person that is hasty He doesn't have time to learn anything with his feet. He goes without having knowledge of what he's supposed to do. And he he sins and sinneth, it says. And then verse 3 says, The foolishness of man perverteth his way, and his heart fretteth against the Lord. So a man by his foolishness causes trouble to his way, but then what does he do? He fretteth. His heart fretteth against the Lord. He blames God for what brings, what he brings upon himself. You know, there's a lot of folks that are always blaming God. Who was it? The root cause of what problem you had anyway. Was it God or yourself? Most of the time, it's ourselves, isn't it? That brings about the trouble we have. Because it says, The foolishness of man perverteth his way, and his heart fretteth against the Lord. We always find God God is at fault when something goes wrong. At least sometimes we do. We, instead of looking back to ourselves and saying, well, if I had not done this or that or the other, things wouldn't be like they are. And you know, we find that down the road that sometimes we say, well, we asked God about it, but we still did what we wanted to do. And then just because we say we asked God doesn't mean it was in the will of God, does it? We ask God about it and then do what we want to do, and then when we get about... Ten miles down the road, we find out our way didn't work out, and then we start blaming God. We say, God, I asked you about this, but James says that when we ask, sometimes we do not receive because we ask amiss, that we may consume it upon our lusts. We ask in a selfish way. So let's learn to ask in the will of God. The Bible says, I believe it's First John chapter five and about thirteen tells us that uh, that we. Uh, these things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. And then it goes on to say that, and that if we ask anything according to His will, He heareth us. And we know that if He heareth us, we have the petition that we desire of Him because we ask it in the will of God. If it's the perfect will of God, you're going to receive it. And so we need to ask, but we need to ask in the will of God. We don't just say God, give me a million bucks because you probably won't get it. And whatever else we ask in a selfish way, sometimes I've heard people say, well, when I get that million dollars, I'm going to help the church out. That's just a lame excuse to say you want the million. Because, you know, most of the time, more, the more money people get, the less they feel that they can offer to the Lord. You know, when they give a tenth of a hundred dollars, that's a ten dollar bill. That's not bad, is it? Some people, a tenth of a thousand is just a hundred bucks, right? But then if you had about twenty thousand, how would you feel about giving your tenth out of that? Say, two thousand bucks is a lot of money. We might start squinging a little then, squeezing down. Suppose you had a hundred thousand. Say, you know that church doesn't need ten thousand dollars. The missionaries, they're all right over there. We're supporting them. You know, they get their measly sum. But anyway... It seems like the bigger it grows, and that's why a lot of people get in trouble. God will bless us, and He has blessed us. And God is so good to each and every one of us. And most of the time, it's much more than we deserve, because it's by the grace of God that anything is uh, in our favor. Let's notice this. Verse 3, we're still talking about business. The foolishness of man perverteth his way, and his heart fretteth against the Lord. Now then, verse 4. It says, notice this. Wealth maketh many friends. Look at this. But the poor is separated from his neighbor. He doesn't have very many friends. Wealth maketh many friends. Fair-weather friends. This is, you know, if you got a lot, like the prodigal son, remember? When he took his inheritance, he went down in the, the far country, and, and there he wasted his substance with righteous living. Well, if... If you have a riotous living you've got to have a lot of folks around you and no doubt he had many friends while he was spending all that money of his inheritance and then the Bible says, and when he had spent all what happened he was trying his friends were all gone he was trying to find a place to even uh, get food and he ended up feeding the pigs and he would fill his belly with the husk that the swine did eat and it says and no man gave to him all of his friends were gone. reminds me of a lot of uh, social party goers—they go out and they buy drinks for everybody. You know, as long as they get buy all the drinks and the food and, and pay for everything, well, they got a lot of people crowding around. If someone wins at these big lotteries, you know. Well, they have friends that they never knew before. They all over because they got a lot of money. But you know, the Bible teaches there is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. And that's Jesus. He's going to be with you. Will you have anything or you have much? Paul says, I've learned that whatsoever state I'm in, therewith to be content. Whatever condition of life, to be content. He said, I've learned how to be full and how to be in want. How to suffer need and how, to, how that need was supplied. And he uses various terms to describe it. And God knows what we have need of, and He knows how much we can stand. Some people cannot stand prosperity. One is in one of the Proverbs, it says, and maybe in the Psalms, it says, Feed me with food that is convenient for me. He says, Give me neither poverty nor riches. I don't want to be poor that I would steal, and I don't want to be rich that I would uh, deny God. But God knows the evaluation that each one of us need, and if we'll seek the will of God, He'll give us exactly what we need, no more and no less. And you can be happy about that, because better is that kind of condition. Wealth maketh many friends, but the poor is separated from his neighbor. Now, then, verse five says, "A false witness shall not be unpunished, but he and he that speaketh lies shall not escape." Perjury, a false witness. We must be honest in our dealings. Remember, there were false witnesses. Sometimes false witnesses are hired against a just man. They were hired against Jesus or sought out against Jesus. They were sought out against old Naboth that had a vineyard. He had a vineyard, you know. And old Ahab said, I want that vineyard because it's right next to mine. Hope it doesn't remind you of anything. I want that because it's right next to mine. And he said, I'll pay the price for it. And he says, Naboth, I want you to sell it to me. And Naboth says, no, I, I cannot uh, surrender the law of God concerning this. It was his vineyard. It was to be passed on to the family. And you read back in the law, it was to be kept within the family. And he wouldn't sell it. And so Naboth go, I mean, Ahab goes down and big old king Ahab. Ahab. And he starts crying to Jezebel. He starts kicking his feet and butting his head against the wall and rolling over and over and crying. And the Bible tells us he laid upon his bed and pouted. I want that vineyard so bad. And what happened? Jezebel, she was meaner than all get out. And she went out and hired a bunch of guys of mafia to get rid of Naboth. So they killed Naboth and then they took his vineyard over. See, and The only way to get it is just to get rid of him. False witnesses against him, but we know that sometimes they can be hired to to cause a lot of problems. A false witness shall not be unpunished. As a general rule, they're going to be punished. And he that speaketh lies shall not escape. Now then, verse six. By the way, those first five verses was developing a proper attitude toward life, and that is concerning business, toward business. This section, second section is verses six through twelve. And it's developing proper attitudes toward life in this respect. Toward government. Toward government. What's the proper attitude toward government? Look what it says. Many will entreat the favor of the prince, and every man is a friend to him that giveth gifts. (laughs) How does that work out? Toward government? Oh, you you want the favor of the prince, that's sure enough. But then when it comes to bribery, and every man is a friend to him that giveth gifts. A man of gifts. A man that bribes. We just heard the report of some of that going on in the UN and France and Germany and Russia. But sometimes bribes enter into the picture and gifts, as far as government is concerned. As far as powers that be are concerned. And it says in verse 7, "...all the brethren of the poor do hate him. How much more do his friends go far from him? He pursueth them with words, yet they are wanting to him." You don't have a chance if you're the poor guy, hardly, as far as government and authority is concerned. But on the other hand, what is to really be the character of our dealings with government on an honest basis? Romans 13 gives us a minister of God and God ordained. Romans 13, if you want to turn there. And it shows us how that a Christian has a relationship to government and how he should... Obey the laws of the land and be subject to higher powers. Uh, Romans 13 verse 1 says, Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers. This is talking about civil authority. For there is no power but of God, and the powers that be are ordained of God. Governments of nations should be established upon the laws of God. And it says, Whosoever therefore resisteth the power resisteth the ordinance of God. This is what God has sanctioned. God has sanctioned government that has higher power so that uh, we respect the laws of the land, the laws of the community, the laws of our state. And it says, Whosoever resisteth the power resisteth the ordinance of God, and they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation, or the word judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. The laws of the land should be against evil works. They should be against, uh, of course, robbery and thievery and vandalism and all the things that are crimes, killing and abuse and everything. It says, for rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Wilt thou not be afraid of the power? Do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the same. For he, he is the minister of God to thee for good. Talking about the law enforcement, the policemen, the the powers that be. But if thou do that which is evil, be afraid, for he beareth not the sword in vain. For he is the minister of God, a revenger, to execute wrath upon them that do him that doeth evil. You may have here the police force. Let's just take for example. And he is a minister of God to thee for good. Wouldn't it be an awful thing not to have the police in our communities and in our cities? You say, well, are they ministers of God? You may have some that are saved and some that are unsaved. And most likely you do. But the, the ordinance or the establishment of the government and the sanction of the officers to carry out and to enforce the law, that's ordained of God. That's God's business. He's established that kind of an order in our cities and in our villages, in our state and in our government. So they may not be a saved person, but they still have a job that God has ordained and we would that we had more Christian policemen and government officials. But that doesn't mean that we should not honor the laws of the land, even if you have people that are not in tune with God in the whole matter. We're still obligated to obey the law. And by the way, when, when citizens of a nation begin to not obey the law, then you're going to have a terrible situation in the, in the world. And so our laws need to be obeyed. Regardless of what they may say, we have to go by them. So not, the only way to do anything about it is if it's a law that you feel is unjust or not right, is to vote and to do your best to change those uh, rules and regulations and laws so that you can abide by them. And that's the only way to go about it in a civilized nation, and we have to do that. All right, let's get back. I could go on and read and read and read Romans chapter thirteen. Well, I'll read another verse or two. One says in verse five, it says, "Wherefore you must needs be subject, not only for wrath, because you'll be judged, but also for conscience' sake. It's the right thing to do. For this cause, pay you tribute also, for they are God's ministers, attending continually upon this very thing." Okay, let's turn back to. Proverbs 19, verse 8. We'll pick up there. Verse 8. It says, He that getteth wisdom loveth his own soul. He that keepeth understanding shall find good. So it's to get wisdom, and then keepeth, notice, to guard it, and you guard it like a precious treasure. He that getteth wisdom loveth his own soul. He that keepeth understanding shall find good. You know, if you have something that is of great value, what do you do? Something that you treasure, you keep it. And you protect it. So you need to get wisdom and guard it like a precious treasure. Now then, verse 9 says, A false witness shall not go unpunished. This is as much as in verse 5. And he that, that speaketh lies shall perish. He says in verse 10, Delight is not seemly for a fool, much less for a servant to have rule over princes. Delight is not seemly for a fool. Luxury. And it says, much less for a servant to have rule over princes. Can you imagine the servant of the field coming in and having rule over the master of the, of the plantation? It's just not done, is it? And it's not proper. In verse 11 it says, The discretion of a man deferreth his anger. And it, it is his glory to pass over a transgression. This makes good sense. The discretion of a man deferreth his anger. A man is discreet or prudent. The prudence of a man defereth his anger. He keeps it back his anger. And it, it is his glory to pass over a transgression. This makes good sense to just pass over. You know, there's scripture also in Proverbs says, Where no wood is, the fire goeth out. And sometimes, and I know that pretty well, because I used to have to, we lived up here on Cariza Canyon, a little house down right at the foot of the hill below the woman's club, right at the bottom of the hill. And in those days, it was all. There was no houses or anything up the canyon. It was all uh, horse pasture, etc. But anyway, I had to go up on the side of that hill, winter or summer, a lot of times in the wintertime, and cut down an old juniper about six inches in diameter or something like that, or whatever I could find, if it's smaller or larger, and cut it down and drag it down the mountain, drag it over there to the backyard, and take an axe and start cutting it up so Mother could put... Wood in the stove to cook something to eat. And besides that, that's what we uh, stayed warm by. And you really need to stay warm. We had an old board and bat house. You know what a board and bat house is? There's no studs to frame the wall. Those old boards are about yay thick, and you nail them to the bottom and to the top of them. We had a two four at the top, and the floor at the bottom, you just nailed them on there, and you might put a 2 before 4 around where you are going to put a window or something. But that was your walls. That was the studs. That was the whole support of the roof. And then you'd put a one before 4 bat over the crack. And then they'd start shrinking, and the air would just whistle through there. And the floor, the same way, You used one-by-twelve, old rough one-by-twelves on the floor. You nail those down. And when you put them down, they were just tight as a drum. And just about two or three months, you, you could stick All your fingers right down through the crack. Because they would shrink that much. That old green lumber. And by the way, when you got a 1 by 12 in those days, it was about an inch and a quarter, inch and a half thick. It was like a 2 by 12. And it was about 13 or 14 inches across. They gave you a piece of lumber for a piece of lumber. And nowadays, they start cutting 2 by 4's down from... uh, three-quarters and three quarters first, and then three-and-five-eighths, and then three-and-a-half, and now I think they're about three-and-three-eighths and three or maybe three-and-a-quarter. If you get three-and-a-quarter with stud, you've got a pretty good one for four inches. But anyway, uh, we live in a different day. But I know what that wood business is. We'd bring it down off the mountain and cut it up and take it in the house. And his green mother would say, why don't you get some dry wood? Well, there's snow all over the ground. You can't get dry wood. Anyway, we'd finally get a fire kindled in that old cook stove and we'd back up to it and get around it and the pot of beans on there and everything. You had to stay warm and cook all at the same time. Those were the days. And I, I re- really do remember where no wood is, the fire goeth out. And it's the same thing is true as far as, as, far as uh, the transgressions. It says, "...the digression of a man deferrth his anger." And it it is His glory to pass over transgression. Just let it be. Sometimes the more defensive we become, the more we see uh, what's happening. Uh, And it's not very good. Verse 12 says, The king's wrath is as the roaring of a lion. When the king gets angry, it's like the roaring of a lion. But his favor is as dew upon the grass. Isn't this a great thing? The king's wrath is as the roaring of a lion. You and I don't want to face a roaring lion, do we? Hadn't we much better be out in the, in the open as the dew falls upon the grass and find the pleasant smell and freshness of the dew and enjoy the, the cool of the day or the mo- early of the morning than to have the roaring lion after us all the time? And by the way, the Bible says, your adversary the devil as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour. And look at this next one. By the way, when we get to verse 13, we've been talking about developing proper attitudes toward life. And that was verses 6 through 12. I don't know if I gave you that when we got to verse 6. Verses 6 through 12. And verses 13 13 through 16, we have this for a title. And that is, the the title of the whole chapter is Developing Proper Attitudes Toward Life. And this section deals with toward family. Toward family now. It says, a foolish son is the calamity of his father, and the contentions of a wife are as a continual dropping. (laughs) There's an old Arab proverb, an Arab proverb that says, tack, knack, back. And it means the leaking through of rain, a wife's nagging, and bugs make a house unbearable. And those three words come out in this uh, Arab proverb. Tack, knack, back. Tack means the leaking through of a rain. And knack, the wife's knacky. And back means bugs. And all three of these things make what? Life or a house unbearable. So it says, A foolish son is a calamity of his father, and the contentions of a wife are a continual dropping. So every man can be thankful if he has a wife that is not contentious. House and riches are the look at this house and riches are the inheritance of fathers and a prudent wife this is different is from the lord thank god for a prudent wife thank god for a wife that's not contentious thank god for a wife that you can talk things over with and you can come to some conclusion as to how to do things and what is needed a sense of reason and sense of understanding and most of us that are here, I believe, have wives just like that. Thank God, because she is from the Lord. We don't know how in the providence of God that we ended up with a sweet wife that we have. But God worked it out. My wife used to say when the Lord made herself and, and me, that He threw away the mold. says, that's enough of those kinds. There's just two of those. We don't want any more like that. Because we see things exact, almost exactly alike. And if there is a difference, we can come and reconcile the difference and understand that what is best for both of us and for our family, for the church, or whatever may be the subject involved. So, she is an inheritance from the Lord. She's from the Lord. Look at verse uh, 15 now. And we're still on the thought toward family. It says, "Slothfulness casteth into a deep sleep, and an idle soul shall suffer hunger." A lazy man is not worth very much. Slothfulness casteth into a deep sleep, and an idle soul shall suffer hunger. Look in twenty-six verse fourteen of of Proverbs. Twenty-six fourteen says, "As the door turneth upon his hinges, so doth a slothful upon his bed. He's restless." He never is settled. It's what he's doing. In fact, the verse before that, 26.13, says, The slothful man, the man says There's a line in the way. A line in the streets. you ever seen a man say, You know, I can't stand that job. There's too much, too much work on that. Or I can't stand the hours. Or I don't want this about it. And he finds that there's a line in the street. There's always a problem. Spurgeon has a sermon. A line or no line. Sometimes there's no line when we think there's a line in the streets. But the slothful man, he's going to find one there regardless. I mean, that lion is after him, and he just cannot be settled on anything that is stable and, and uh, secure. Back in our text in Proverbs 19, slothfulness, verse 15, Slothfulness casteth into a deep sleep, and an idle soul shall suffer hunger. And then we quoted that other one. As the door turneth on his hinges, so there's the lawful turn upon his bed. Take that and apply it to David. Remember when the kings went forth to battle and David starried, uh, tarried still at Jerusalem. The Bible says that he became restless during the night. An idle soul shall suffer hunger. He was in a deep sleep and he awoke out of his sleep and he couldn't stand it. And as the door turneth on his hinges, connected with that other... Other one we gave him. So doth a slothful upon his bed, and he arose, and then he began to lust after a woman taking a bath across the way, and he got in trouble, and finally he had to pray for forgiveness. In Psalm fifty-one, he said, "Have mercy upon me, O God, according to the, Thy loving kindness, according to the multitude of Thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions." He says, "Against Thee and Thee only have I sinned and done this evil in Thy sight." That thou mightest be justified when thou speakest and clear when thou judgest. He says, Behold, I was shapen in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceived me. He says, I'm a sinner by nature. He says, Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. And he says, Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Going to show us that we can get forgiveness even when we sin and do wrong. Alright, back to this. Proverbs 19, verse uh, 16. He that keepeth the commandment keepeth his own soul. But he that despiseth his ways shall die. If we obey God, we're going to have security. But we're going to find that death is the other end of the situation. Now, verses uh, 17 and 18 is our attitude toward the poor. He that hath pity upon the poor lendeth unto the Lord. And that which he hath given... Will he, will he pay him again? You want to really make an investment? He that giveth to the poor. It doesn't say, let the poor take part of what you have and then exact, uh, upon him usury or a great, uh, amount of interest just because he's poor and you take advantage of it. He says, he that giveth to the poor. I had a man one time say that if you couldn't afford, uh, to give it to someone, don't lend it to them. Especially in that, under those circumstances. You know the way to make an enemy of a friend? Loan him money. You have the best friend in the world. You start loaning money, you're going to make an enemy out of it. You say, preacher, is that right? Well, you try it and see. If you can afford to help him, just give it to him. I remember a certain young man with his wife and some children down Redosa Downs. One day I, he wanted to borrow some money. And I gave him two dollars bills. And I said, no. I said, this, this is yours. I said, just take it. Don't ever pay it back. I said, just forget it. And lo and behold, one day later on, he came and he gave me both those 50's back. He said, I want to pay you, Brother George. I said, that's fine. Well, see, if I had loaned it to him, he'd have felt obligated to pay me. But when, since I gave it to him, and I said, no, even when he started to pay me back. I said, no, I don't want it. I said, I gave that to you. He says, I know you did. But he says, I want to give it back to you. You know, sometimes we need to, to, to think about how we do business. Now look at this he that hath pity upon the poor lendeth unto the Lord, and he and that which he hath given will he pay him again. God is going to give you the amount you loan, the principal, plus interest. Let's look at that's how you deal with the poor. Now then our attitude in the last respect, the last section of this, developing proper attitudes toward life is the title of the chapter, but the last part of it, verses nineteen through twenty nine, the proper attitude now put this down, toward our habits. Toward our habits. Beginning with verse 19. Well, we didn't read verse 18, but uh, we'll pick it, pick it up. Chasten thy son while there is hope, and let not thy soul spare for his crying. We're to correct our children. Now then, verse 19. A man of great wrath shall suffer punishment, for if thou deliver him, yet thou must do it again. Man of great wrath. If you deliver that kind of man, you're going to have to be involved in more times than one. You can get so involved with people's problems that the first thing you know, they make that your problem, and then they go on scot-free and just think, I'm happy as a lark. That fellow's got my problem in his bag now. <laughs> you know that? I remember a young man one time here, a saint, led the singing here in the church. He had a little old uh, international pickup. Drove up there by the care center, and we have been going up there and I'd been preaching to him up at the care center. And uh, he would lead the singing up there. And then anyway, this particular night, we'd finished the preaching and the song, leading the singing. And he drove off in that pickup. And I thought everything was okay. And I got home and his dad called me about two hours later and said, uh, he hasn't come home yet. Uh, well, his dad wasn't. No, James called me. This this young man called me. And he said, uh, said he's... Uh, out of gas and this and that and the other. And he was threatening suicide. And he was up there some, on some road by the care center. So I called his dad. This is the way it was. I called his dad and told him about it. His dad said, oh, he'll be okay. Come home when he gets ready. So I was worried to death. He had already laid that problem on me. I thought the poor guy up there, he might, he might do himself in. So I get in the pickup and I start running around trying to find him. And I run all over the country up and down by the care center. Finally got home. And I called his dad again. He said, oh, he, he came in a while ago and he went in there. He's in there in the bed. So he laid all that burden on me like he was going to commit suicide. And I goes running around all over the country trying to trying to prevent a catastrophe. And lo and behold, he, after he laid it on me, he went home and went to bed. You, you see, you don't ever know what you're getting into. It says, A man of great wrath shall suffer punishment. For if thou deliver him, yet thou must do it again. He's going to lay the problem on you. Now, toward our habits, hear counsel and receive instruction that thou mayest be wise in thy latter end. So we're, we're to be wise and wisdom is a long-term investment. We need to hear counsel and receive instruction. Notice, hear, receive, that thou mayest be wise in thy latter end. Verse 21, There are many devices in a man's heart. Nevertheless, the counsel of the Lord, that shall stand. You know, men plan one thing and then another. We have many ideas about what's going to we're going to do and what's going to happen. Nevertheless, the counsel of the Lord that shall stand. Maybe our maybe our invention and device that we think of is not going to stand, but God's counsel will stand. Now, verse twenty-two: The desire of a man is his kindness, and a poor man is better than a liar. The desire of man is his kindness. We should d- desire to be kind. We should have. The attitude of kindness. And I'd rather be a poor man than to be a liar. Verse 23. The fear of the Lord tendeth to life. And he that hath it shall abide satisfied. He that he shall not be visited with evil. Godliness here satisfies. The fear of the Lord. It's not talking about being afraid of God, though there is a fear in that sense of the word. But this is the fear, the reverence of God, standing in awe at God, tendeth to life. And he that hath it shall abide satisfied. There will be satisfaction. Godliness satisfies. He shall not be visited with evil. Now look at this again. Verse 24. We come back to the laziness. A slothful man hideth his hand in his bosom, and will not so much as bring it to his mouth again. (laughs) Here's a man too lazy to feed himself. Look at it. He puts his... He, he won't bring it to his mouth again. He's lazy. He's not helpless. Now, the helpless you have to feed. Sometimes we've had people that are helpless in the, in the bed and unable to feed themselves and we spoon feed them. And there's nothing in the world wrong with that. In fact, that's an act of mercy and kindness and concern. But for a man to just be so lazy that he won't even feed himself... You ever get sick of some of these things you see on the television where a man is taking a spoon... Feeding his wife. And his wife's taking a spoon to feed her. To me, I don't know how you feel about it, but that's sign. I think that she can take her own spoon and I can take mine. Now, if she was helpless, that would be a different story. But here, this man, he, what does he do? A slothful man hideth his hand in his bosom and will not so much as bring it to his mouth again. In fact, there's a word that says hideth his hand in, his, in the dish and will not bring it to his mouth again. Then verse 25. Smite a scorner, and the simple will beware, and reprove one that hath understanding, and he will understand knowledge. Sometimes a person must be startled into attention to get their attention. Smite a scorner, and the simple will beware, and reprove one that hath understanding, and he will understand knowledge. You ever heard that old story about the two Farmers, and one of them sold the other one the mule. Remember that story? He got the mule over in his field and he wouldn't plow. He says, Get up, go, hooked him to the plow, and he just stood there. The old farmer just didn't know what to do and he went back and he says, You know, that mule won't budge. This, this other farmer he goes over there and he takes a pretty good sized little tube before and smites him upside the, the head. Well, that mule started plowing and just go, get up and go. He says, What well, was wrong? You didn't get his attention. So sometimes it says, Smite a scorner, look. And the simple will, will beware. Sometimes, and I, I don't believe in cruelty to animals. Don't misunderstand me now. But I'm just talking about sometimes we have to get the attention of anyone or anything to, to be, succeed in doing any good. And I think that's a little drastic, but on the other hand, we need to get the attention before we can give them understanding. Now, verse 26 says, He that wasteth his father and chasteth the way his mother is a son that causeth shame and bringeth reproach. And then, verse 27, Cease, my son, to hear the instruction that causeth to err from the words of knowledge. Some people trifle with the truth. Look at verse 27. Cease, my son, to hear the instruction that causeth to err from the words of knowledge. Don't play around with the truth. Don't trifle with it. And then the last two verses, verse 28 says, An ungodly witness scorneth judgment, and the mouth of the wicked devoureth iniquity. Here's a, a craving for what is tainted. And then the last verse says, Judgments are prepared for scorners and stripes for the backs of fools. We find uh, when warnings fail, this is what has to happen. Judgments are prepared for scorners and stripes for the backs of fools. Sometimes there's no other way.